Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Meller, and we're back after a week hiatus. I'm glad to be with you guys again this week. It's been pretty busy in our house. As some of you may have read on our Facebook group, we got a new puppy in our home, a golden doodle named Snickers, and Snickers has done a great job overall. The kids, of course, are over the moon. Uh, But it's been busy. We've been up in the middle of the night here and there. We've been cleaning up a lot of puppy messes and all of the fun things. But uh, so far, we're we're, we're doing pretty good with uh, Snickers here in our house. So so thanks for sticking with us uh, during our little hiatus there. Uh, We're hoping to get back on a more regular schedule again. And this week, we've got a fantastic interview for you with Dr. Anil Adikula, Many of you know Dr. I and his unique brand of energy and enthusiasm. We had a wonderful interview where we talked about some of the issues affecting our profession and how to handle those, the role of the American Association of Orthodontists, and how to lead with authentic leadership, how to instill in your team a culture that really reflects your unique identity. This is a fantastic interview. You guys are going to love it. We're going to get straight into the interview again this week. Let's do it. Dr. Anil Adikula, a.k.a. Dr. I, attended dental school at Nova Southeastern and completed his orthodontic residency at the University of Pennsylvania. He opened his flagship location in the summer of 2008 and is now the owner of five private practices in Colorado and one in San Diego. He lectures nationally and internationally on clinical efficiency, team building, and philanthropy at many of the major meetings. Dr. I is also very passionate about his role on the Council of Communications for the American Association of orthodontists. He believes that every orthodontist should be treating hundreds of children locally pro bono throughout their career. In his free time, he can be found skiing, running, working out, and serving on the boards of five nonprofit organizations. Anil embodies his practice tagline, Live Life Smiling. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast, Dr. I. Thanks, Lance. That is an all-star introduction. If I've heard one, I appreciate that, buddy. Yeah, no problem. How was the AAO meeting in San Diego? Oh, boy. Yeah, we're on the heels of the AO meeting, right? Um, yep. I got to tell you, it was, uh, it was really, really eye-opening. Sometimes, sometimes things happen in life and you feel like a chapter, a page in a, in a book changes and you, you turn that and you go to a new chapter. And, and I can honestly say this past AO, I, I turned a page in a chapter. It, How so? Yeah, the, the lecture that I gave on Saturday, um, just everything clicked. The, the energy in the crowd, the, the, the music before the lecture, the slides, the, the audience, the, the people that I saw in each section, so many friends that I got to see and key in on and, and get to connect with. It was a really special time and, and it was, it was my favorite lecture that I've given, that I've given to date. And that says a lot because back in the day, Neil Kravitz and I gave a duo Batman Robin lecture at the PCSO. And that was so much fun. But this one, this one rivals that one for sure. Awesome. I, I wasn't at the meeting, but I'm looking forward to hearing it uh, when the recording comes out. So tell our listeners a little bit about your journey since graduating from Penn Ortho, uh, kind of what you've been up to in the last uh, nine or ten years and, and how you got to where you are today. For sure, man. I, uh, I graduated in 2006, and the next day I, uh, I drove all the way out to Colorado. And halfway through my drive, I got a phone call from uh, from an awesome orthodontist who's a good friend of mine that I was going to work for, and she had let me know that the deal had fallen through last minute. So I'm in the middle of a road trip down to Colorado, and I realize I'm totally unemployed, which doesn't mathematically compute with the life of an orthodontist when things are calculated and you're on this set path. So that was an, that was an interesting uh, addition to the drive and the road trip. I came out here and I did not have a job for literally four months. I could not find work anywhere. No one was hiring. No one was looking for an associate. So 
I got wind of a corporate entity that wanted to bring orthodontics into their GP offices. And that was my first taste of orthodontics in GP offices and orthodontics in the office of referral. So if you fast forward to 2007, a year later, I am in 13 different offices and working six days a week. And that's just my East Coast blood where you just keep working, keep working, keep working. And uh, I realized it was probably time for me to start my private practice because all these other orthodontists that had practices just weren't ready for an associate. And I really, my dream was to join somebody about 10, 15 years older than me and work with them and grow something and eventually buy in. And I, I really wanted to work with another doctor so badly. And when that opportunity didn't arise, my ADD kicked in and I decided to open my first uh, flagship office in a southern suburb of Denver. And things just kind of snowball from there. And now we're at five offices in Colorado. We've got uh, another doctor in California manning up the iOrtho locations out there and then the nonprofit wings that we have in foreign countries. So it's kind of taken off, but I've learned I've learned a little bit later in life that slowing down is a good thing. So I'm starting to slow down a bit and uh, and just really enjoy the practices that I have and really focusing on growing that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, and I think most people would consider you really, uh, you know, having had a lot of success in your time in orthodontics. And I'm curious who your mentors and role models have been as you've kind of charted this course. Yeah, other than the obvious being um, my father's who my biggest mentor in philanthropy and, and my mother, my biggest mentor in hard work. Uh, in, in the orthodontic profession, uh, specifically, uh, Karen Moad of Hummingbird Associates met with me a week before my office even opened and we built a schedule before we even had patients and, and really built an image of the practice that I really wanted to build here. Um, and that went hand in hand with Agnes Kahn of Civitas Architects in, uh, in Philadelphia. And she really developed a space that reflected me in my flagship location. Um, so those two people have definitely been mentors. Since then, uh, Leon Panici has really taught me a lot about culture. And that is actually, that is actually acceptable to be selfless and unselfish in the profession. Um, and then I've got, I've got my closest crew of orthodontists that are peers, but really mentors. And that's, that's, uh, Michael Goldstein, Jamie Reynolds, and Jeff Kozlowski. Those, those three guys challenged me and pushed me, uh, pushed me a lot. So it's, it's been great, man. It's been great. That's, that's fantastic. Um, you know, and I've heard, I, I wanted to, if it's okay, ask you, you know, I've, I've heard you talk about your father who passed away when, when you were younger. And, yeah. you know, I identify with that. A little bit. My dad passed away when I was 25, so I, I certainly had a little bit of a different experience there, knowing him longer than, than you knew your father. But, um, you know, I'm so driven still by by my dad. You know, his he was probably my best friend and, and this advisor. I'm so motivated by the notions I have of, of what would make him proud or what would make him disappointed in me. I don't know if that's something you could elaborate on. I can, and I'm sorry to hear about that, Lance. I, I didn't Everyone has unique situations when they lose a parent and, um, you know, one is not better than another. One's not necessarily worse than another, but, uh, I can't imagine going through 25 years of knowing a parent and then losing them. I was, I was only five, uh, when I lost my dad. So I only have a handful of memories of my father, literally a handful of memories of my father. And a lot that I've learned about my dad, I had to learn through storytellers, such as my mother such as my uncles and other people that he interacted with all the way up to Dr. Van Arsdale the day he interviewed me for, for Penn Ortho, who had known my father. My father was a general surgeon, so they knew each other from the Philadelphia area just briefly. And um, as I've realized that from other people seeing me grow up and not having a you know, a direct roadmap of what my father did, but seeing similar tendencies in me as his son, as many people do when they see, oh, that reminds me of his dad or his mom and things like that. Uh, that has fueled my fire to 
live as true as I can to my father's legacy and and really make him proud and really truly make him proud. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, that's something that I totally identify with and, and I think about a lot. Um, I want to ask you this question here. Uh, if if you were going to write a job description, we do this sometimes for our staff. We write, what's the job description for a TC or for a financial coordinator or a clinical assistant? If you were to write a job description for an orthodontist, what would you put in it? What would you say are the most important characteristics for an orthodontist to have to be successful? That's a great question, my friend. Uh, I, I would say the, the number one characteristic that I look for for an orthodontist is someone who is going, who is willing to accept that they can change the entire profession. I believe, I believe that more than ever, as I've seen peers of mine change the entire profession with one single voice, a Ben Burris, a Neil Kravitz, a Cole Johnson. You, you look at you look at orthodontists with a very unique and powerful voice, and part of the thing that makes them powerful is the niche that they discuss, and they can specifically sway a profession one way or another. Now, with the microphone comes, you know, uh, high responsibility and great risk. But I would want I would want that orthodontist to know that they can absolutely realign the profession on what's important and uh i'm a big believer also in strength in numbers so that is that's also a roundabout way of me telling you what my mission is and it is to realign the entire profession on what's important and that is giving back and philanthropy and and using what we do for the good the greater good not just a bank account which is important but um I think we have I think we have it really really good and I think there's a lot more good that we can Absolutely. Do. How about in interacting with patients or or running a business? What what do you think are the characteristics that lead to success on a, a more day-to-day basis? In terms of running a business, if I was looking for somebody, I think it really comes down to almost a Nordstrom customer service, just do what's right for the customer. And I think you just got to keep doing what's right. And so much of what we do and our success, I think, hinges on listening to people and really listening and looking at them and and um, and connecting with them on a really deep, intimate level in the consult room and at every appointment. So uh, when it comes to that interpersonal skill and doing what's right, I think that's, I think that's a key trait. And uh, one of the things that our office has really focused on recently is asking real questions of patients, not just how's your weekend or what are you doing for the summer, but, you know, what are you most thankful for today? Or can you do something really special for your mom tonight? And can you let me know what you're going to do? Who'd you sit with at lunch today? Uh, have you been bullied in the past year? Just different questions that I think we want to ask and make a difference because it's not just making a difference with the profession, but I think it's making a difference in our, our patients' lives. And, um, when it comes to business sense, a lot of my business sense came from consultants and peer groups. So I don't know. I don't think I had a lot of business sense coming in. I still think I have a lot to learn. So I don't know truly how much business sense you need to come in to succeed in orthodontics. I think there's a huge alley-oop and it's just called our orthodontic certificate. I think after that, it's pretty hard to screw things up. Um, but I think it it can get easy to screw things up if we focus on the wrong things, such as metrics and P&Ls and numbers and all those things. If we just focus back on love, I think life gets really good. If we can go back to those applications for our orthodontic residencies and reread those five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, at the end of a slow month in September, in May, I think, I think it would be pretty eye-opening where we would want to get potentially that former self and that better self that we once were versus getting confused by the world and the distractions that come with it. Sure. I, I, I love that answer, and I think that's totally true, that if we can take care of the people element of it, uh, you know, we can find the help we need to, to run our business. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your work with the AAO uh, and and the, the Council on Communications and the Consumer Awareness Program. Um, tell us a little bit what you've been what you've been working on there. Uh, I think as of... Friday, maybe Thursday as of Friday, I'm officially the chair of the council. So I'll be the chair for this year. And that doesn't mean I'm making any executive decisions. All it means is that 
I'm more facilitator in in council meetings in the direction of the AO. And it's it's really exciting actually. Uh, it's a really exciting time because there's a lot of change going on. I get very excited by change. Hence a new office every year and me, you know, hanging U-turns on the bus that I'm driving with my team on there. Uh, so uh, change is really good for me. So this year there's a lot of change. We have three incoming members uh, to the council, all of which are female, which I am so excited about. Um, one of which is uh, Courtney Francis Dunn, who represents uh, a whole organization for women in orthodontics. So uh, I couldn't be happier that that overlooked segment in our industry will now have as strong a voice as it's ever had. So this is this is a fantastic move and fantastic. This will give us a fantastic result for the council and really give a more balanced voice, which is what I think is an aspect we've been lacking. Um, so this year we're going to really dive in deep on the consumer action plan, uh, program, consumer awareness program, and our ROI on dollars spent because unlike traditional models that we had used in the past and big, big agencies um, that might have been stuck in their ways here one way or another, we're really going to focus on getting some crazy ROI from the CAP program and doing a lot digital and focusing a lot online. It, it should be a, uh, I think this year is going to be a turning point for the way we communicate to potential consumers and increase awareness and education uh, for the AO. You know, I think there's a lot of people that are either quietly or very vocally frustrated with the AAO. And I, I'd love to get your take on really what should we expect from an organization like the AAO? What's, what's the responsibility of the AAO and what's the responsibility of the individual orthodontist practicing, you know, in her community somewhere in, in the United States? Lance, that's probably the most important question that the membership needs an answer to. The responsibility of the AEO is to educate consumers on the importance of orthodontics and the health of orthodontics. And in turn, that could increase the, um, the amount of patients seeking orthodontics from orthodontists. That also might increase the amount of patients in seeking orthodontics in general from anybody, much like a Smile Direct Club is going to increase awareness of orthodontics. And it might take some patience from us, but overall, the amount of patients nationally seeking orthodontics, I would assume, would increase based on their aggressive marketing campaign. Our goal with AEO is to increase awareness and ideally direct as many patients as possible to orthodontists. But with the budget that we have, we have to be really smart and really strategic at some point, drive patients into our own local offices. That's difficult, though. That's difficult not only to drive them there, but offices aren't the best at tracking those. And doctors sometimes are a little misguided, and we expect patients to come to our office because of marketing, because of what we do locally, and because of what these behemoth companies can do with their budgets, and because they have a dialed-in doctor locator, for example, that drives patients directly to our offices. Because we're covering so many orthodontists and we're covering nationwide, we have to be a little bit more smart with our money. And um, I think for orthodontists to expect patients to come in from a doctor locator on the AA website is a little foolish at this point. I think we need to get more traction and we need to establish our brand a little bit stronger. So we got a lot of work to do. We got to establish the validity of a brand, create awareness in patients, and ultimately try to drive patients to offices. Yeah. And I think that there are a lot of opportunities to do that. And I, you know, I also sense still though that people don't 
I guess, have a lot of confidence in, in the AAO's ability to, to develop a brand or to promote the cause of orthodontists generally. And so some people are focusing on just building their own brand and people are, you know, leaving the AAO or, or you know, uh, resigning their membership. What, what thoughts do you have when you hear about orthodontists leaving the AAO? Yeah, um, for some it might be a financial decision. I know younger members might be, you know, a little strapped on budgets, so that's one thing. And I would encourage them to call the AO and ask for um, different payment arrangements and explore what they could do. But for us to worry locally, what is the AO doing for me is is pretty selfish. It's actually completely selfish because we're looking at a profession as a whole and how are we going to pr- protect the profession. And you got to look at the entire, the entire U.S., North America, and you got to see what the AO is doing to protect that. And it's also the AO PAC. It's legislative stuff. There's a lot of stuff that goes on. Am I saying the AO is doing it perfectly? No way. Anyone that knows me, I'm going to speak really black and white, and we've got a ton of work to do. But for an orthodontist to leave the AO because they're not seeing patients from the AO makes zero sense to me at all. And if an orthodontist has to depend on a national organization to drive his patients, I would say that that orthodontist has a lot more work to do than just complain about the AEO. Because I'm the first to say, and I tell this to young grads and residents, if you don't know where you want to practice, set up practice next to me, any of my offices, because there is so much snaggle out there. There is there are so many people that can benefit from straight teeth, whether it be function or whether it be vanity. I think that the world is ripe for us, and we haven't even grazed the marketplace yet, which is what is opening the door to other companies, seeing there's so much untapped potential, let me hop on in there. So there's a local marketing that we need to do, but from an AO point of view, that is more of a blanket approach, and we're trying to just spread awareness as a whole. Yeah. Let's go talk a little bit about the local market. Let's get back to Dr. I and, and I Orthodontics. What can you tell doctors about how they should distinguish themselves in a, in a competitive marketplace? Is it uh, having a fancy office or technology or their clinical skills or their marketing ability? What, what is it that you know, makes a, a practice successful in, in a local community? The, the, biggest, the biggest thing that I can tell doctors to do is um, authentic leadership. I think that um, I think that healthcare is moving less and less to being doctor centric, but being convenient and consumer centric. So the thoughts of exceptional clinical care and all that stuff, those values are slowly dropping. I don't necessarily think that we should drop that as a profession or as an individual practitioner. But for our office, as an example, our culture. Our vibe, our energy is what drives our practice completely. And we are big users of certain products um, such as Invisalign and things like that. And that definitely helps also. But I actually think that people come to us because they like how we make them feel. Uh, I had to have a conversation with a patient today who was just not wearing rubber bands. And, you know, I can, I can keep this patient you know, three years beyond estimated completion date or say, you're, you know, your teeth are going to be straight, your bite might not fit well, but your teeth are going to be totally straight and you look beautiful. And that's what I told the patient because that's what I believe. And I told the patient directly like I tell in lectures, I said, no one died of crooked teeth. No one in the history of mankind that I know has died of crooked teeth. So my biggest goal right now is to make sure you look great in photos and let's, let's just go from there. And then the mom pulled me aside and said, can I, can I talk to you? And I, it's one of those conversations where a mom pulls you aside and you're like, oh boy, this is, something's going to go down that's not so ideal. And it's the first time I've ever heard this, but mom said, I love you, Dr. I. I absolutely love you because you're real and you're raw and you actually tell it how it is. And I said, well, this is just, this is just the reality. And I think this is just, I'm just saying what I think we should say. So... In a, in a market that can be competitive, and, and competition to me is very unique, I think that I think if your market's competitive, then you haven't distinguished yourself from somebody else. And just being an orthodontist is not enough. 
Straight teeth is not enough. I tell patients in consults, I can't straighten teeth better than anyone else, any other orthodontist around here. And for me to claim that is a little pompous. But all I can tell you is, Johnny or Julie, I'm really going to get to know them. And I'm going to ask them some tough questions sometimes. And I really want to know what's going on in their world. And uh, I would love for you to choose us. But if you don't, there's some great orthodontists less than 20 feet away from my office. And you will do amazing. Because that's truly what I feel. I don't feel that I am better than anyone else. I feel this. I am a different type of journey. And I feel like those patients will find you. So in a world of Facebook, in a world of all how quickly online communication moves, it's very easy for young orthodontists especially to choose their favorite team, aka their favorite doctor, and then try to do everything that doctors that doctor is doing and aspire to this, inspire to that. But there's a complete lack of authenticity there. There's a complete lack of authenticity there. I think that self-awareness, finding what makes you thrive, how do you want to be remembered in the profession? That's a big question that a lot of people don't think to ask. How do you want to be remembered? What do you want to be said the day you retire? What do you, what do you want to be said of you the day you die? You know, those things to me should drive what we do every single day because that to me is true meaning. So when we want to love on every patient and we want to raise young philanthropists through patient care, and young raise the most grateful patients through questions we ask them and through practices that we employ in our practice from doctor level to staff level to practices of gratitude at the patient level. To me, I can sleep at night and life is good, but that's what burns me. That doesn't, that doesn't burn inside of everybody. So I think the more self-aware we are, the more authentic we are, and the more we can lead a team, I think that will go ahead and snowball into drastic success. If you want the biggest practice, yeah, let's market the heck out of things and let's do lunches and let's do all that stuff. Um, there's, there's a lot of different ways you can get there. But for us, for myself, for Dr. I and my team, we don't necessarily strive to be the biggest. We don't want to be remembered to have the biggest practice. If we do, that's fine. But that's not one of our not even top five goals of how we want iOrthodontics to be remembered. And I think when you talk about, you know, uh, orthodontists who look to their peers, you know, I think they're trying to imitate things that they see as being successful. And to a certain extent, we all do that, right? We take best practices from each other. But I think it's hard sometimes to have that discussion with yourself or with your team really about what your culture is going to be. And I think in the absence of that, then it's easy to just kind of latch on to whatever you see is out there that's working. Um, and, and it does seem to me that culture really stems from leadership. I mean, you know, I think the establishment of culture in an office kind of is a vague concept for some people. But I, as I've kind of gone in my short career in orthodontics, I've kind of found that our office culture really derives from me coming to an understanding over time of what's import important to me, what are the values that I want, and then being able to communicate that to my staff and for them to be empowered and embody those ver those values. Um, that leadership, I think, is really at the core of creating a culture. What you're saying is 100% right, Lance, and I think the profession needs to hear it. It is about culture. It is totally about culture, and that will that will trump anything, absolutely anything. I do believe there is merit, like you said, in choosing to do similar things that work in other practices. Otherwise, these online Facebook forums would not exist unless we were looking to see what works. But when it comes to authentic leadership, it ain't a flyer. That is, that is not authentic leadership to me at all. It's not what's your financial contract look like. It's not what you're paying full discount is. That stuff, those might be certain metrics you need to follow. But everything, everything in an office, in my mind, should flow from the heart of the leader. And you might lose team members the more authentic you get. But you will gain team members that will follow your leadership and see, I want to... I want to work with that girl. I want to work with that guy. I, we have, it's been two and a half years, and this is, you know, nine years of private practice. It's been two and a half years, 
And we still, in the last two and a half years, we've yet to have somebody come in and say, um, I want, I come, I'm coming here because of this money or this dollar. People are now choosing us. And I mean this in humility, but we're finding people come to our office because of the culture, because of the feel, and because of what we stand for. And that's what I want. I don't want it because I pay the most, whether or not I do pay the most, or because of X, Y, or Z, because that stuff can be duplicated anywhere. But the one thing that cannot be duplicated ever, ever, is your unique culture. So when we look at distinguishing ourselves from other GPs doing orthodontics, or if you need to look at other orthodontists doing orthodontics, no one can touch your culture. Ever. Ever. So that is what we focus on at iOrthodontics every single month is a new cultural aspect that we will introduce into our practice in one way or another. And people have heard me say this. I do not want to be known as a great orthodontist. I want to be known as a great man. Period. Period. Yeah. Orthodontics is a means to an end for me. That's fantastic. Tell us a little bit about social media. You know, I think you're probably have a lot of followers. People follow you and your practices on, on social media. I'm curious what your thoughts are there. It seems like that's an area with a lot of opportunity for orthodontists, but also some challenges, right? From a, from a social media point of view, when you look at some of these orthodontic feeds, and I'm sure everybody follows a bunch of other people, I mean, there, there's some stuff that's super boring in my mind. I don't, I don't know why the last 10 posts have to be, hey, Johnny got his braces off, hooray. That's fine. That's awesome. And I know that's an important part for Johnny, but some of that stuff can get quite stale. I think if you look at um, a Cole Johnson or a Matt Leinberger, I mean, you look at some of these people, I, I wish I could get braces from these people. I mean, their office looks so freaking fun. So I, th I think I think it's got to be fun. you got to look at your audience, and, and, uh, and you have to, once again, even in social media, be quite different from other people. Yeah, I think that's true. All the people that are doing this successfully, it seems to be a natural extension of either their personality or their practice culture. You know, it's I guess everyone has a little bit of a different tolerance for how much of them, themselves they're willing to put out there on social media. But uh, the really compelling ones seem to be willing to engage a little bit more uh, with patients in that way. Totally. And Lance, one other thing, I mean, the... Uh... Becky, who runs our social media, keeps telling me every day, like, we need more videos, we need more videos. And, you know, I, I, I gotta just, I gotta commit to doing more videos and Facebook Live and stuff because the power of video is ridiculous. I mean, absolutely insane. It, it kicks photos of booties right now. So that's one thing that we've committed to is we're gonna try to do way more videos because I think that that is what the audience is yearning for because a lot of other people non-orthodontists are doing videos really, really well. So for those for those orthodontists that are looking for a little bump or things like that, just start start doing videos because I think it's 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 a little bit of a challenge in the beginning, but once you get it, I think I think you will make some crazy, crazy headway. I I was watching a Facebook live video you did at the AAO and I think you had you were outside and I think you had like San Diego in the background and you were about to go give your yeah. lecture and it jumps right out at you you know it's kind of pulls you in more than a video or than a photo or a text post for sure for sure man yeah, yeah. so yeah. a question i have for you is how how do you balance all of these priorities in your life you've got you know, running five practices and straightening teeth clinically, and you're worried about making a difference in your community and leaving a legacy. I mean, there's only so much mental bandwidth. Do you have any tips or tricks for how to kind of keep all this stuff uh, in its place? The number one, the number one most important thing that you need is, is a great team. Hands down, you need a great team. You need a great manager. You need great team members. And you need people that are leaders, and you need, you need to grow them into leaders. Not people who are bringing problems to you, but people who are bringing solutions. And my team is freaking awesome. Absolutely freaking awesome. I sat there today at the morning huddle, I'm like, oh my God, this team is legit, man. And it is them. They get all the credit. They get all the credit. I just get to do the fluffy stuff, the Braveheart speeches at, at morning huddles, the hugging moms. The having fun and all that stuff. The, the tooth part, moving teeth is easy. And, and any seasoned orthodontist will tell you that. Moving teeth is 
easy. It's the systems, it's the scheduling, it's the freedom that you have with Invisalign when you tell patients, I'll see you back in 24 weeks, here's your 24 trays. It's getting rid of fears. It's also, I'm talking about all this culture and how important it is to leave a legacy. But hand in hand in that, I am fully ex accepting that I want less of Dr. I with patients in order to scale and have a little more time and more of my team. We are not, we are not as cool as we think we are. You do not need to go into every single consultation at all. Yes, the new patient that found you on Google that comes in, you don't need to go in that consultation. If you empower your TC, watch those patients start. So my TCs get to tell me whether or not they want me. There's either a old school consult where they want me in. There is a Bugs Bunny where it's just a what's up doc or it's a Heisman. Those are our three categories that my TC gets to tell me after they brief me at my perch is they say it's going to be a Heisman. And I'm like, go get them, Tiger. And they go get them and you get to see patients when they are in the chair getting braces on or Invisalign. Because patients, if your culture is strong enough, patients will trust you knowing that you're doing the right thing based on your reputation. So that allows for a greater scaling just from a doctor time point of view where you can be in the clinic more. Um, but yeah, we are still only at about 13 and a half days a month with all the offices. I have an amazing part-time associate uh, named Dr. K over here. And I think, uh, I think starting in August, she's going to take a couple more days and and I can focus on some other stuff. I really want to focus on culture a little deeper, and I want that to be the root of our practice and philanthropy and other partnerships of just doing treatment for free across across Colorado. And it's time for, you know, I'm, I'm about to turn 40, so it's time for this guy to focus on personal life and the, uh, and the amazing woman uh, that's in my life right now. Great. Tell, I, you've piqued my interest a little bit with your, your Braveheart speech uh, reference. Tell us a little bit about that. Is that something you're, you try to really pump your team up in the morning uh, for someone who's unaccustomed yeah. to, yeah. Uh, to maybe the Dr. I mojo? Tell us a little bit about a Braveheart speech. Yeah, I know there's, there's all different types of morning huddles, right? So I'll just tell you about our newest one, and I call it Braveheart because I got a Braveheart every morning. And... Um, this is actually, you know, I, I want to make sure the listeners are getting some good tips, but I'll, I'll tell you what we're doing right now in morning huddles. So uh, my manager has just started running our huddles, and she starts out by um, asking how everybody's doing. And we go around the room, and we literally want to know how everybody's doing. And of the X amount of staff, if, if one is tired or three are tired or five are tired, uh, you know, at the end, we, at the end of going around, which really only takes a couple minutes, we ask, who needs energy? And for instance, um, let's say my assistant Tina needs energy. She'll raise her hand, and I'll say, guys, Tina needs energy. we got to lift her up all day long. And you will see, you will see the flock completely, completely uplift Tina throughout the day. And it is amazing. And the reason I know that is because I've said I am tired some days. And oh my gosh, my team gets so obnoxiously nice and bringing me coffee and everything. I love them. But our goal is to make sure everyone's having a good day. So that's the first thing is we do a gut check. We, don't do, we used to do a gut check at the end of morning huddle. Now we do it right at the beginning because we, we don't want anyone preloaded or anything like that. I don't want a brave heart speech to amp people up necessarily where we ask them how they're doing at the end. I want to know how you're doing right now, and then we're going to work on making things better. After that, we do some pretty routine things. Assistants go over their columns, and then the financial coordinator goes over the columns. And... When I'm talking about culture and authenticity, Lance, and I'm talking about how I want to be remembered not as a great orthodontist or a great boss, but a great man, one of, one of the best things that I've learned in my life is using a gratitude journal. So what we do is everybody but the TCs, after they give, after my assistants and my financial coordinators, okay, and my scheduling coordinators give their report on what we need to do, just the logistics, the boring system stuff, and we've explained how we're doing, everybody has five minutes to write in a gratitude journal that we have, that we supply, and that's mandatory. During those five minutes, the TCs and the manager and myself then go over the TC new patient columns, and we go over all the patients we're seeing. And then after that, the TCs, the manager, 
and myself, mandatory gratitude journal. So, I mean, the stats around on what gratitude journals do for happiness, baselines of people that write in it. So if I want the happiest team, and I want everyone to have a good day, which is a little bit utopian, but to me, a gratitude journal is like a happiness pill of 11 to 15% of a boost in happiness, which the stats, the studies show, we're going to do that every single day right before we take the field and see patients. So for me, that is a practice that I use in my practice for patient care, but I want happy team members. I want them to be happy when they leave work. I want them to write in gratitude journals on the weekends. When my team leaves me, I want them to continue to do these things. A gym membership. We gave our whole team a gym membership for the holidays, like for the year. And man, you see people just getting motivated now to work out because working out is expensive, but it's, it's important to a lot of us that can afford it. So a true leader takes their team to places that they can't go on their own. And I think it is our job when we have employees to be responsible leaders and to take our team to different areas, not just here's your check. If that's your check, man, I feel sorry for you as a leader. There's so much more that we have. I think it's abuse if we don't impact our team members in dramatic ways. So another thing is, you know, my financial coach. Part of the reason why they're my financial coaches, I told them, before I work with you, you have to promise me one thing. And they said, what is it? And I, and I said, you have to provide free financial guidance to every one of my team members. No questions asked. You got to teach them about budgeting. You got to hold a seminar. You got to go over this stuff. Because if I can teach my team members to save 10 20 30 $40 more per week, and they can look at what that return is, to me, you're changing a generation. I want to come work for you. Uh, <laughs> I'm hiring, bro. I don't pay the most, but you'll get a gratitude journal. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's really uh, that's really fantastic stuff. In a similar vein, I guess I would I'd be curious what your thoughts are, or what you would say to an orthodontist who is struggling. If if the orthodontist, if the doctor is struggling, you know, I think there's some people that see these orthodontic superstars out there, and uh, but they are feeling. I don't know, afraid of uh, what's going on or they're feeling stressed or they're feeling inadequate. What would you say to a doctor who's uh, maybe a little bit stressed out? Oh, man. It, you, can't, you can't base your happiness on social media, first of all. I mean, there's people that, that whine a lot on Facebook and then you just unfriend them and unfollow them because everyone's just looking for happiness and a little zinger. The problem is, is people look up to it as a status thing and measure themselves up to what other people post, for example, on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. So here's the deal. You got to take all that stuff with a grain of salt. But, but most importantly, I, I think orthodontists that are struggling, you need to know that you're not alone. I have crappy days. I have, I have crappy months. I have crappy weeks. Crap happens. And, um, you know, the, the hardest time that I can remember in my career, other than when I first started out and didn't know how bills were going to get paid, was just a minor setback this past fall that just spiraled because I felt so much pressure to be right and be good and be perfect and be loving. And I didn't put the oxygen mask on myself. I was putting on other people. So my life has changed dramatically since the fall where I put the oxygen mask on myself. And I have to do this. And when I go see my therapist, one to three times a week, one to three times a week, Mr. Live Life Smiling sees a therapist. Because I need to fully be aware of and address the demons that are on my bus. Because I need to know that they're there and realize why they're there and not give them the steering wheel of the bus I'm driving. I can acknowledge them, I can respect them, and I can learn from them. But they will not drive my bus if I have a say over it. So my, my biggest advice for orthodontists that are struggling is if it's an overhead issue or a money issue, let's look at how we can grow our practice authentically, which takes some time, and let's look at cutting out expenses. But if you're struggling personally and you are depressed or you've lost the love of you've lost the fever, other than flying to see me, which I would welcome anybody or calling me, please, my cell phone number, 215-908-0008, call me 
And it's not because I have the answers, but it's because I'm going to tell you, I'm there with you. And it sucks, and life is tough sometimes. But a plane only hits turbulence when it's flying. You got to keep doing the right thing. You got to realize that things are going to get shaky. But I think seeing a therapist should be in the armamentarium of every single leader for sure, because it all comes down to self-awareness. And sometimes just seeing that therapist will help you discover what you need to be authentic about and what really gets you excited about in life. I think it's fantastic that you're you know, willing to open up in that way and, and share that with other orthodontists, because I do think that uh, it's an interesting dichotomy when we're on the one hand, like you say, we're, we're here we are, we're living life smiling, we've got this impact for good, um, but, but we all have challenges. So I, so I appreciate you uh, sharing that a little bit with our audience. Um, we're going to transition here a little bit into this uh, express eight questions here. We're going to fire off eight questions, uh, get some, oh some answers from you here, and, uh, okay. and we'll see how this goes. All right, let's go do for it. it baby. What's your go-to treatment for full step class twos? Uh, the carrier motion appliance. Awesome. What is your standard retention protocol? Uh, Essex upper lower full time for three months, and then nighttime wear from there on out. Cool. What's your favorite orthodontic product or instrument? The Itero scanner. That's a good one. What's the best vacation you've ever taken? Oof. Ah, uh, boy. Um. Best vacation I ever took was, believe it or not, Vegas uh, a year and a half ago. doesn't sound exciting, but um, my friends and I won a, a private jet to Vegas, and uh, we we decided to wear costumes. I mean, if, if I'm going on a private jet, that's like once in a lifetime, right? <laughs> so we, we talked about wearing costumes, and you know, I wanted to wear like a silk robe and a pipe and have a hairless cat and roll in on that thing, right? They're not going to kick you out. <laughs> uh, we ended up chickening out and not wearing costumes. One of our buddies did, and he wore his uh, he wore his wedding garb. He happens to be Indian, wore his wedding garb. Long story short, we show up at the hotel. They we uh, we checked in and told him he was a prince, and they upgraded us to a suite. It was ridiculous. They just they <laughs> they they didn't see our bluff. So it was it was, it was great. Yeah, man. that's great. What's yeah. what's one great book that you've read recently? Oh boy, a great book. Uh, Tools of Titans. Tools, Tools of Titans, I've got it. and I'm great still book. I'm still working through some of that, but that thing is that thing is awesome. I, what I like is that you can just kind of pick at it. You know, it's yeah. all these little. You know, it's not it's not a narrative. You can just kind of pick up and it's like bathroom reading. You just kind of read a chapter or two. It's so yeah, that's good. A, that's a great it's, book by Tim Ferriss for so our good. listeners. And I've got another book, and this was from my therapist, so I could discover the type of person I am. And it's called "If You Give a Moose a Muffin," because I am definitely a moose. So uh, I'll let you guys wander with that one and see, but that's that's definitely who I am. So I, I have a feeling Amazon's going to look a little blip on the the moose muffin book. I'll I'll check it out and see what's yeah, going I'm on. Yeah, I'm going to buy stock in that right now. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> what what bracket system are you currently using? Uh, I use Armo Synergy. I've I've used them almost from the start and haven't and haven't changed yet. Armo was the first the first company that gave me a chance speaking, so I'm forever indebted to them, and and I'll always be loyal to them too. Sweet. What's one area of orthodontics you want to learn more about in 2017? Uh, great question, man. Uh, I, I would really love to learn more about Phase 1 Invisalign, man. I, I really I think there's something there, and, and that's something I definitely want to learn about. You know, there's all these... I, I don't think people are going to take their 7-year-olds into uh, Smile Direct shops, so I'm looking for, for little niches and little things that we can still use aligners and be smart and scale, and, and, but still provide optimal clinical care. So yeah, you're right. There is something there. I think that's I think that's fascinating. Not an area I know a lot about either. So, yeah, great. Well, let's close with this. I know there's lots of orthodontists out there that are worried, as you just mentioned, about Smile Direct Club or whatever it is, the chan changing landscape in orthodontics. And what do you think about these threats, if you want to call them that? And what attitude should we embrace as orthodontists as we kind of face these changes in our profession? Okay. Um, yeah, the profession is changing, right? And I'm sure orthodontists that are 30 years old than me are, have been through this a lot. And just because what, what, what we go through, we sometimes think it's the worst thing ever, right? 
we look back, we're like, oh, it wasn't that bad. Here's here's the deal. It, it honestly, I'm sorry to to keep going back to what I was saying, but no one can touch culture. No one can touch culture at all. So there's going to be people looking for cheaper options and this and that, and that's fantastic. And prices might come down, but a lot a lot of happiness in life has to do with relativity. Where if my average case be went from $6,000 to $4,000, for example. I would hope I wouldn't have to close up shop, and I doubt I'd have to close up shop. I just need to adjust my expectations of what the profession will allow me. And it's still really good, because when my average case fee, when I started out, went from $3,000 to $4,000, all of a sudden life is really, really good. So the equation I put in every single lecture is happiness equals reality minus expectations. So if we can look at what our reality is and then modify those expectations or change our reality here or there, happiness can stay super freaking high. So my, my advice to young orthodontists or orthodontists in a changing profession is you, you got to change your reality. You got to change your perspective, change the way you look at life because man, oh man, I think people would beg, borrow, kill, steal to be an orthodontist because life is life is incredible. Life is absolutely freaking incredible. I couldn't agree more. I think we're in a great profession, and I think that we have a very bright future ahead of us. And I'm I'm glad to hear that you share uh, an optimistic outlook for the future. Absolutely, buddy. Anil, thanks so much for being here on the podcast. It's been fantastic talking with you, and I can't wait to go back and uh, listen to some of these uh, words of wisdom you shared with our listeners. I got to thank you, Lance. This is what you're doing is a gift to the profession, man. It really is, and, and it's, it's a lot of work, um, but it probably doesn't feel like work to you if I know you. It probably doesn't feel like work. So I admire you, and, um, and you will be known in the profession because of this, man. So you are, you are doing good stuff, bro. It's a pleasure to do, and, and I've loved having conversations just like this. So thanks a lot, Anil, and have a great night. You too, buddy. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode. 